friends, this is Historical AF. I'm Keena. And I'm Lindsay. We are a historian and a special guest delivering you the random and weird historical cat nugs you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Whoop, I'm whoop. so excited! <laughs> <laughs> me. Very excited to be here. If you guys don't know, there was this tripod awards thing on Twitter and you beat me. I would I did. You did. And I, there's nobody else I would want to be beat by. So I'm very excited oh, that you're here. It's an honor you. to lose to you. Thank you. <laughs> I was very surprised when we won. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So it's cool. I have a section on the website of just like awards and like press stuff, but it's just like all the times we lose, but like come really close. And I'm really excited about it because at least yeah. people are thinking about us, you know? It's just exactly. You know, eventually. Like always, the bri- our bridesmaid never the bride kind of situation. And one of these days, I'll get one. <laughs> and that's when you got to get like the confetti cannon out and just be like, burr, 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 and then just like yes. you know, have a huge party. Oh, I will. I'm so I'm very extra. And this whole being isolated pandemic thing has really just I have so much energy for that extraness to go somewhere. Yep, I need to do things. So anyway, tell everybody about your podcast. <laughs> sure. Once again, I'm Lindsay, and I'm one of the hosts of the Yield Crime Podcast. It's a podcast that I do with my sister, Madison, and we discuss funny, strange, and obscure crimes in history, and it's all before the 1900s. So we've covered animal trials, plagues, body snatching, lots of women poisoning their men (laughs) and families. I love everything about all those things. (laughs) animal trials is probably the most i've ever laughed researching i was like crying laughing (laughs) there were some parts of it where because you know i tend to do my research in the living room like well as my family's doing other things and so i'd be sitting there reading an article or something and just start like snort laughing like really (laughs) like ugly gross laughing and they'd be like what is wrong with you and i'm like did you know that they used to you know, try pigs in a court of law. And they're like, what? And I was like, yes, this was a real thing that happened. And they even dressed one of them up as a person. A little vest. <laughs> like a little vest and pants. And they put like a human, like a fake human head oh. over its face. And I was Man. like, what are you doing? This it, is weird. I mean, a lot of those crimes, they're so like, eventually they get tragic, but there's some comedic relief in there. For like yeah. The- we had some of the dumbest criminals in that time. Oh, it was just amazing. Oh it's such God. a good topic. What got you into history? So it's funny because growing up, I don't think I was really into history a whole lot as far as like what you would learn in school. Because I'm horrible at remembering like dates and things like that. So that was never really my jam. Mm-hmm. But I really loved reading about Laura Ingalls Wilder growing up reading about Beatrix Potter and all of her different stories she would write. Do you remember the book series that came out where it was like journals written by different girls in like different times in history? That sounds really familiar. It's called like Tales from America or something like that. Like it's some yeah. sort of- Yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, because it was like this book series where it would be written from the perspective of a girl during the... American Revolution or during, you know, when they're coming over to America and things like that. And I remember reading that, learning a little bit about history from a young girl's perspective or whatever. But it was really cool. And I remember thinking, you know, this is really awesome. And then I kind of forgot about it for a while. 
And then as I got older, you know, I subscribed to a bunch of weird email newsletters <laughs> and I would get these articles that would come in about some random weird thing in history. I'm like, this is fascinating. And so I would like kind of set them aside to read later, knowing I'm never going to read them later. <laughs> and uh, so, and then eventually I had this huge long list of like articles of things that I wanted to read. And I was like, why wouldn't, why couldn't I just read these and research them and make it into a show, like make it into a podcast. And it was kind of like something that I kind of ha ha talked to Madison about. Yeah. When I first brought up the idea of doing a podcast, she was like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so that's a no. All right. I love that. <laughs> Understood. But then when the pandemic hit and I was furloughed for a while, I was like, I'm going to do it. Let's just do it. And so she was like, okay, cool. So that spreadsheet that I kept of all those random links of stuff that I was like, I'm never going to read this. It came in handy. So. That's fantastic. My biggest gripe is people like, I hate history is boring. And I think a lot of it stems from the way they taught history when we were younger. It's just like yep. memorize the state and remember this thing. And I mean, even I like have a hard time remembering dates and I have a master's in history. <laughs> like once you get into like the gritty of history, it is so fun. But yeah, I'm just so excited about how many history podcasts are popping up because people are finding out how hilarious it is and fun and how easy it is to learn it without yep. being bored to tears well and there because i'm over 35 <laughs> i joined a book club a few years ago and so a lot of the books that we'll read are like historical fiction mm -hmm. and so i've learned more stuff in book club than i learned at all in high school hi history class a bunch of stuff that they never taught us like do you remember learning about the internment camps in world war ii for the asian americans I did only because I lived near one. I grew up in the Midwest. Okay. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Northwest Iowa. Okay. I'm from Northern Arkansas. Okay. Um, yeah. So Arkansas had three. So I did never learn about it in school, but I knew about it because we lived by one. But yeah, they didn't teach us that. When I was in college, we had an exhibit and I didn't really understand. I, I knew it happened just because... Rower, um, this is where George Takai was, um, the guy from yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, yes. he was in Arkansas. So I, I knew it because I'd heard it. But when I was in college, they had an exhibit and it was children's art from being in the internment camp. So it was oh, just wow. their drawing. And it was probably, it was super heavy because it was the first time I realized just how incredibly horrific it was. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they don't teach you that stuff in school. It wasn't until college that I really got it. I didn't know about Rwanda until college. Um, oh, that was wow. before out once hotel rwanda came out i think everybody was kind of more aware but yeah mm -hmm. nobody talks about genocides happening now you know yep. <laughs> it's like yep it's just the stuff you just don't learn it's kind of startling to realize that's another thing history is very humbling the more i learn about anything the more i realize i know nothing <laughs> like, exactly exactly it's exciting to keep learning because i'm like how did i not know these things happened it's one of those things where it's, I feel like history is accessible for everyone. Like there are so many things that aren't, but it's something that, you know, it's, it's important to learn what happened in the past because as we know, history has a, has a tendency to repeat itself. So it's always good to know, you know, what happened a hundred, 200, 500 years ago 
and what kind of went wrong. So we kind of know what we could do different this time around. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's nice to have that. I don't want to say checks and balance, but to, to have that. What is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> <laughs> reference. It's nice yes. to have that reference. <laughs> I too sing when I can't think of things. <laughs> I think we just became best friends. I think we did too. <laughs> High five. Hey, here we want to get started. <laughs> Let's talk about cats. Let's talk about cats. <laughs> I've had so much fun with this theme. I I feel like dogs get a lot of credit. Like if you talk about history of animals, everybody talks about dogs. But I learned yeah. so much about cats. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm doing random which if you don't know random i'm given a word from a patreon fam and then i have to work that into my story somehow and you guys are making me work for it <laughs> the words get harder every time so marissa gave me eula trickus which i didn't know was a real word and i had to google it <laughs> And I, also I, have, to, I have never heard that word in my life. I haven't either. I had to like Google pronounce it too and get, so I could say it right. But it means having woolly or curly hair. Ooh, and okay. Who knew there are curly haired cats? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you a photo because they're so cute. They're so cute. My little curly hair. So I did find out a typical domestic cat has three types of hair structures within their coat. So the outer coat is generally fairly straight and stiff and it's called a guard hair. And this layer provides insulation and can serve as a like a rain deterrent, keeps the water from getting to their skin. And then the middle layer is called an on hair, which is not as long, but it's generally thicker and softer than the outer coat. And then the third layer is the undercoat or the down hair. And it's very short and fine. So cats with curly coats have one or more missing or altered elements of the basic three-part cat coat. Oh, that's oh, okay. Fun. So this causes curls and often leads to less shedding or no shedding at all. Oh, so they're kind of like golden doodles. The golden yeah. doodles of the cat world. Yeah, and they got the little curly cues too. So maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of how that works. Some people that have curly haired cats find that they don't have as many allergies but a lot of things i was reading saying you can't guarantee that they're hypoallergenic just because their hair is curly yeah that's still interesting but the curly coated cats are usually a result of a mutation and a distinct breed like this takes time and a lot of dedicated efforts by breeders because this doesn't naturally happen so breeds that have this eula trichus hair are the cornish rex the Devon Rex, which happens to be one of the smallest breeds of cats, too. And then there's one called Laperm. <laughs> so stinking cute. And then there's the Selkirk Rex. So there's only four. Wow. These breeds emerged through the mutation in the earliest, the 1950s. So oh, very. Really recently. Yeah. And then some of the other ones were about 1980. And most of them came from England. Hence the name, like Cornish Rex. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. And you know what else came from England? The 13 colonies, you know, the (laughs) revolution, and then, you know, the United States. So I'm making that transition. Am I reaching? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Do I regret it? No. (laughs) If I could reach. (laughs) Because 
they're so new. There's no history. So it's like, how do I finagle this? All right. So we're going to transition to Cats in the White House. Oh, nice. And this is the first episode that we've recorded since the inauguration. So that was exciting. Hope everybody watched that and had a good time. I cried a lot. I did too. <laughs> I I watched it with my husband and my oldest was home because she hadn't gone back to the hybrid model of learning yet. Mm-hmm. And so she's in school and I'm like, you should be watching this historic <laughs> moment. And she's like, mom, I'm in a meet at school. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. Get out of your class and pay attention to this. <laughs> and my husband's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I was making a post for the podcast about how like after that afternoon, we'd be able to say Madam Vice President. And I just started like, tearing up. I was like, ah. And then it dawned on me that, you know, Biden's first speech when he does it he'll have two women sitting behind him and that just Mm -hmm. like and then just everything we were doing a facebook live on the facebook page for the podcast and just all of us were just sobbing (laughs) yep it was was so fun it was i'm glad nothing happened like violence wise same and i love that the most like newsworthy thing to happen was burning his little mittens Oh my god, I love that meme so much. There are so many good ones out there. Oh man. I just love that like we could think about things like fashion. Like they all look so cute. And like Michelle Obama was like bomb. (laughs) I know. She came walking out and I was just like, girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of them were just blowing me away. So it was a great time. And I enjoyed watching that very greatly. And I was so emotional all day. But a few days later, we got the arrival of pets back in the White House. Champ and Major showed up. And that's the content I'm here for. Just them frolicking around the yard. And then there was a, a clip where... I think Biden was signing an executive order and you could hear them barking in the background and it just brought me so much joy. (laughs) I I need them to have their own like Twitter and Instagram accounts so I can like, they do. Oh my God. I need to follow these stat because they'll do like press releases and it'll be like, wolf, 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 wolf. And then it will say translation. (laughs) Oh my God. I am Googling that as soon as we are done. (laughs) I think it's called like the oval Pophis. Oh my God. God, or like first peppers, yeah, something like that. It is amazing. Ooh, I, is, I am so here for this. But yeah, Trump was the awesome. first president in a century to not have a pet, like a dog. So that hurts my heart because I always love the White House pets. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he and James Polk were the only two presidents to not have a pet of some sort. Wow. Yeah, I just remember the Clinton's cat socks. Do you remember yes, socks? I do. I do. And that's kind of what inspired this. <laughs> I just love him so much. I know he was so cute. The major is the first shelter dog ever to be in the White House, which I think is really cool. Because that's really cool. My little fur baby that's down here, he's a little shelter puppy, and I just love it so much. I have a shelter dog as well. But we're not here to talk about dogs. That's in a couple of weeks. Spoiler alert. But <laughs> it has also been over a decade since there was a cat in the people's house. And the Bidens have plans to get a kitty, too. They just haven't announced when or what kind of cat they're going to have yet. But they do plan on having one. So that would be really cute. That's Especially, awesome. like, modern time. Because, I like, 
socks had his own little podium. He would just get up there in the press room and just hang out. And he was just so fun to watch. So, yep. And I was on TikTok. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I have a problem. But there, <laughs> a video of Champ and Major running around. And somebody in the comments was like, has there ever been a cat in the White House? And I just messaged me like, okay, you need to Google socks right now. <laughs> yep. Whatever you do. And then people started replying to me. And one lady was like, oh, yeah, we had a picture of him on our fridge. It's like, that's just so wholesome. And I love it. So that was the first cat I remember just because they got socks when he was governor. So he was like a little celebrity in Arkansas. So I I remember that from being a kid. I just remember seeing pictures of her of socks and Chelsea mm -hmm. when she had like the perm tear and stuff. Yeah. She was such a good girl, such an all-American girl. She was. I actually saw her in the Nutcracker. She was a ballerina, and oh. I actually got to see her perform. That's that awesome. Really, yeah, that's like a weird thing nobody gets to say, but yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I remember there being a lot of security, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Why are there so many people here with earpieces? yeah Uh, yeah, i kind of felt bad for her because she got picked on a lot as a kid but she's turned out to be like an extraordinary human so yeah um, i always feel bad when there's little kids in the white house because you know mm -hmm. people are gonna be like yeah yeah super mean that's one thing where i'm like you can talk about whatever you want but leave the kids alone that's that's one thing you don't mess with as kids that's not cool yeah i just wish i knew if baron was okay nobody talked about him he just i know like is he okay? Where's he at? Is he? Yeah. Poor kid. Ugh. Anywho, this is the history of cats in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling okay. back from the tangent. <laughs> yes. Oh, so pets have played an important role in the White House throughout the decades, not only by providing companionship like they do to the presidents and their families, but they also kind of humanize the role of the politician. And they can also serve as ambassadors to the White House and help support causes like Biden's pups are inspiring adoption, but they also have a website. It's called the ovalpoffice.com. And if you go on there and you buy anything, right now all the money goes to the Best Friends Animal Society, which if you listen to part one, my friend Natalie, she works there. So all the money is going to her organization this month. And I just thought that was really sweet. And they also have a children's book out and all that money goes to charity too. And I'm going to make an educated guess too that before cats were in the White House as pets, they probably were there as mousers because the White House was not so great for a while. Well, they <laughs> yeah. were still under construction for a long time, too. Oh, wow. so, I'm, so I'm sure that there was some sort of vermin problem. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure like after the fire, when they were trying to fix things, there was a lot of vermin. So I'm sure there's cats throughout history, but they didn't really document that. But the first official presidential feline was Tabby and Dixie. And they were the fur babies of Abraham Lincoln. Aww. And he was the 16th president, for those of you that are not in America and you don't care. (laughs) (laughs) But he was apparently a very well-known cat lover. And when asked if her husband had any homies, Mary Todd (laughs) barely like rolled her eyes and just said cats. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, she is a character, too. Yeah, she was. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> they said Abraham Lincoln's quote, possessed extraordinary kindness of heart when his feelings could be reached. And that was from Treasury official Mansell Field. I kept wanting to read Mansfield, but nope. 
two words, Mansell B. Field in his memoirs, quote, he was fond of dumb animals, especially <laughs> cats. I have seen him fondle one for an hour. Helplessness and suffering touched him when they appealed directly to his senses or when you could penetrate through his intelligence to them. So this guy has a way with words, but the idea is just that he really had a soft spot for helpless animals. He was the OG cat whisperer. Yeah. (laughs) And Tabby and Dixie were unexpected gifts from the Secretary of State, William Seward, and it quickly became his favorite pets. And he also had a dog, but he left him in Illinois. He didn't go to the White House. Fun fact, if you've heard that name before, Seward was the dude that negotiated the purchase of Alaska. Oh, more good, than ch- good, good job, guy. <laughs> I guess unless you're in Alaska and you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> like everything echoes here. There's nobody here. Yeah. <laughs> they said that he would play with the kitties for hours and he even once fed Tabby table scraps during a formal state dinner at the White House. <laughs> <laughs> And the best part is he would feed him with a golden fork. <laughs> oh, wow. And Fancy. Mary Todd was apparently very embarrassed and somebody asked her about it. And she said that the action was, quote, shameful in front of their guest. He replied, quote, if the gold fork was good enough for former President James Buchanan, I think it's good enough for Tabby. So it seems like a sick 1860s burn. <laughs> And then Lincoln's friend Caleb Carmen recalled how the president would pick up one of the cats and talk to it for half an hour at a time. <laughs> I mean, I always when I picture Lincoln him being extraordinarily busy. But <laughs> like, well, now I'm just picturing him like transporting them in his hat. Like maybe oh, yeah. he's like <laughs> he's just like, oh, I'm gonna go into a meeting, and then he's just like, How are you? Are you okay, Dixie? Good, good. <laughs> He just like walks away like nothing happened. That would be a waste of all the space in the hat if he did not do yes. that. Just amazing. He had to have done it at least once. Had to have. Just had to have. And at one point during his first term, Lincoln was said to have observed in frustration, quote, Dixie is smarter than my whole cabinet. And furthermore, she doesn't talk back. <laughs> oh, I just love it. He's so sassy. <laughs> he is sassy. Uh, I love all the theories that he was a sassy gay man. So that's the Abe Lincoln, I imagine, because I just think that sounds more fun. Mm -hmm. But also, it had to have been extraordinarily stressful to be the president during the Civil War. So if the cats could give him some sort of comfort or some sort of, you know, stress relief, I wholly support it. Yeah. I mean, I'd talk to my pets for a half hour, too, if I was dealing with the kind of stuff that he was having to deal with during his presidency. I can't I mean, imagine. I'm thinking now that I don't do that, but I'm sure I talk to my dog pets a little more than that. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of conversations with them, so it's probably weird for outside people looking in. And he was also the kind of like crazy cat person that just took in every stray that he found, which I just find adorable. When she was visiting her father and stepmother in Kentucky, Mary wrote a letter to her husband that their son, Eddie, had taken up your hobby of adopting stray kittens. So her <laughs> letter was really cute. And then one of the more interesting, there was a lot of different, you know, examples of how he would find some kittens and then he would nurse them back to health and then adopt them out. But this one I found really interesting. So at 
General Ulysses S. Grant's headquarters in City Point, Virginia, during the siege of Petersburg in March of 1865, just weeks before his assassination, Lincoln found his attention distracted by a couple of kittens. Admiral David Porter wrote later that he was struck by the sight of the president, quote, tenderly caressing three stray kittens. It was well illustrated the kindness of the man's disposition and showed the childlike simplicity, which was mingled with the grandeur of his nature. Again, like he was a big dude, super tall and imposing, just like how he would just melt for a little kitten. That's awesome. He also recalled that Lincoln stroked the cat's fur quietly and told them, Kitties, thank God you are cats and can't understand this terrible strife that is going on. Aww. Just makes me think about how incredibly terrifying it must have been to be him. Like the decisions he had to make and the weight of, you know, trying to buy the country. Thank goodness he had kitties. Yep. (laughs) And before leaving the meeting that day, Lincoln turned to the colonel and said, quote, I hope you will see that these poor little motherless waifs are given plenty of milk and treated kindly. And then he left. Oh, it was like it was, it was like a mic drop. But he was just like, here, take this. Yeah. Kittens. So next president to have a kitte was Rutherford B. Hayes. And he was the 19th president. He actually had like a menagerie of animals. He had a mockingbird, a Jersey cow and some goats. One of the most interesting is that he had the first Siamese cat in the country as his pet. Wow. Yeah. They named it Siam, and it was a gift from David B. Sickles, America's Thai consul in 1879. Siam had a long journey from Thailand to the U.S., traveling by boat to Hong Kong, then San Francisco, and then to Washington, D.C. They said that the kitty was very elegant and slender with long legs and bright blue eyes, which I'm sure if you've never seen a Siamese cat before, you would just be like, holy shit, that's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) They're gorgeous. And Siam created quite a stir at the White House. Lucy Hayes at first named the cat Miss Pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was trying to say that with straight face. (laughs) Oh, I am an adult. Okay. But they changed her name to Siam after noticing how regal she was. Yeah, doesn't have the same uh, ring to it. Miss Miss Pussy and <laughs> Siam, two very, very different. When I pull sources, I have like 50. So a lot of people think that they're two different cats. But I found this from the library, like the presidential library, that it was one cat, just name change. So if you ever see an article out there and be like, I know you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there was one cat yes and the cat soon became the favorite of their daughter fanny Siam was known to wander the white house halls and amuse guests so i'm sure also everybody was just excited to see a cool cat they'd never seen before yeah i'm sure that would have been quite the sight for yeah. people coming to the white house although i'm about to ruin it so sadly Siam <laughs> became sick very like very soon afterwards which i imagine is probably they have no immunity to anything in the united states so i'm sure that's probably kind of like the part one when we had the cat from hong kong that came to england and caught something they just probably couldn't survive it but well, the president it's a really long journey too so i'm yeah, who knows. yeah and the president used his own physician to try to save the cat but he didn't recover and records show that there were instructions to preserve the cat's body, but the cat's never been found. So that's really interesting. 
So the plans to stuff said cat is at the Hayes Presidential Center, but nobody knows where cat is. So if you ever find a Siamese cat that looks super old, stuffed, you know, maybe you should grab that <laughs> and then split the money with us. We'll take 10%. <laughs> Just call in Nicolas Cage. It's National Treasure yes. 3. <laughs> it's kind of like a Patreon episode I did. I was like, there's five missing paintings. They might look like this. Find one in a flea market. Give me 10%. That's all I want. <laughs> Just yep. like, for giving you the idea, you know, like, I think it's fair. All right. So the next one is William McKinley. And he has a super wild story. And this is another reason why you should look at multiple sources because a lot of people are like, this happened and it's horrible. Spoiler alert. And then other people are like, there's no proof this happened. So it's going to get really bad. But just remember that it probably didn't happen as I say it. So he did have a parrot and they named it Washington Post. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> and he Savage. <laughs> He said, look at all the pretty girls and then whistled Dixie and the Yankee Doodle. <laughs> so that's fun. But then his wife, Ida, was rumored to have an Angora cat. It's going to get really dark. I'm really sorry. Okay, so Ida McKinley's Angora gave birth to a litter of four, allegedly. And out of these four, they kept the two smallest kittens. But although they were the smallest of the litter, these runts were given really weighty names. So they named one Valeriano, which was named after the then governor of Cuba, and then Enrique for Spanish for the Spanish ambassador in Washington. And then the Spanish-American War broke out. And as the story goes, she ordered the cats to be drowned because of their names, because people were upset when the war started. Okay. So it's really, really bad. But according to Ida's biographer, they they think it's completely false. They think that this was like a weird propaganda smear campaign from the Spanish. Like, oh, they murdered kittens. But there's no proof that she actually had a cat. The biographer also said that she was just far too kind and gentle of a woman to drown a kitten. And he just, again, says that it was anti-American propaganda from Madrid media. So... I would believe that because that seems really dark. Yeah. Like, I'm going to name this cat after you. And then you're like, oh, you're going to go to war. I'm going to kill your namesake. Jesus, that escalated really quickly. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that the parrot ate the kittens. And I was going to be like, whoa. I was like preparing myself. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, that's that's much better. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, birds are terrifying. Through college, I worked as a pet care specialist for PetSmart. <laughs> and we had those giant ass birds. And every time I'd be like, Fiend, I'm like, you could bite my finger in half. It's just always in my head. Be like, please be nice to me. Huh. But again, this is a perfect reason why you should always look at multiple sources. Because like the first four I looked at were like, this happened. It is fact. She drowned kittens. And then. I kept looking. I'm like, this can't be real. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it was. We're going to move on to Teddy Roosevelt. He had two cats. One was a polydactyl with an extra toe named Slippers. <laughs> I just love it so much. <laughs> oh, and then he had another cat named Tom Quartz. Slippers also apparently had no sense of decorum. There's a lot of stories about how he would just like plop down in the middle of the way of everybody to take a nap especially like state dinners where dignitaries are trying to get in the room and he would just be in the doorway <laughs> so they'd have to step over him. that's such a cat thing to do no, it's just like, this is my house 
give no fuck. Although my cat would probably like, I'm asleep. No, I'm not. Smack. (laughs) (laughs) Tom Quartz was named after a character in Mark Twain's story, Roughing It. Tom regularly harassed the dog Jack. That was a terrier. And Jack was apparently terrified of this cat. Cat would like stalk the terrier and then just jump out and like bite him on the butt. So I think that's hilarious. Roosevelt said, quote, Tom Quartz is certainly the cunningest kitten I've ever seen. (laughs) He is always playing pranks on Jack and I get very nervous lest Jack should get too irritated. (laughs) He apparently pounced on Speaker of the House Cannon and Senator Hannah by grabbing their legs when they walked by. Like he would hide and then just be like, bang. (laughs) So definitely like my cat. That's what he would do. Moving on to Woodrow Wilson. I think his most famous pet was that he had old Ike, the ram that just hung out in the front of the White House with just like butt people. But he also had some dogs, some songbirds, and then he had two cats named Mittens and Puffins. These names are incredible. Oh, my God. They need to come back. (laughs) One of the most mischievous things that the Puffins and Mittens used to do is that they would leap on the dining room table when they were eating, even if they had, like, state dinners. So they all had little spray bottles and would spray the cats with water. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing that they did back then, too. That's awesome. (laughs) I mean, I do that now. Excuse me, Ambassador. No, no, (laughs) no. Get off the table. Everybody notices you you have a spray bottle. The cat jumps (laughs) on your stuff, spritz them a little bit. It'll be fine. That's just too funny for me. And then Calvin Coolidge was really fond of cats. As a young boy, he rescued a litter of kittens from being drowned, and he just had a love for them ever since, which I also thought that was really cute. So he had Smokey, Blackie, Timmy, and Tiger in different times. Timmy even allowed Coolidge's canary to sleep in his paws. Oh. So, and he traveled around the White House on the president's neck. And I have a photo Aww. of that. Oh, that's cute. So apparently he also liked to escape. So the first time that he escaped, Coolidge appealed to the people by calling for their help over a radio address, like an official presidential address. And he issued a desperate plea to return his sweet little tiger And happily, the cat was found a few blocks away, and he was returned. So they made him a little collar that said, the White House. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently a tourist took it as a souvenir. So I guess security sucked. (laughs) But sadly, three months later, sometime in late of June of 1924, Tiger went missing again. And both the Washington Post and the Boston Daily Globe reported it. That he'd been lost, but Coolidge didn't do another address, and he said, quote, Tiger plainly had indicated his preference for society other than that he found in the White House. He didn't. He didn't look for him after that, so that was really sad. And then the cat Blackie apparently liked the elevator, so he used to wait for the doors to open, then he would, like, slide in and then curl up on the little cushion bench inside. (laughs) I would love to see a little kitty in a White House elevator. That's adorable. He also liked to eat a lot. So on one memorable occasion during a breakfast meeting with congressional leaders, Coolidge poured cream into a saucer and placed it on the floor. And then Blackie just like popped out out of nowhere and came in the cream. <laughs> and it was really cute. So the Coolidge Presidential Library had a little section and this is what they said. It says, it's unclear whether Blackie had any official business to contribute to the meeting that day. <laughs> I just love the people that run animal accounts for presidential libraries and the president. I just seems like a dream job. 
No, no kidding. That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. So next president is JFK. So they had Tom Kitten. Some call. Sometimes I called him Tom Terrific. Had a lot of names. When he wasn't <laughs> making the president sneeze, he belonged to the president's daughter, Caroline Kennedy. And what makes Tom interesting is that he was rarely actually at the White House. He began there, but JFK was super allergic. <laughs> so every time he was around, he would sneeze, have watery eyes, and then start swelling up. <laughs> Poor dude. And I've never researched JFK like extensively, but from what I know is that he was kind of sickly. Yeah. Like he had a lot of problems. So probably didn't help. So after a few short weeks, Tom arrived at the White House. The president had him go live at the White House staff or Mary Gallagher's house. Gallagher had two sons that was Caroline's age, so she would often arrange for the kids to play together so that she could come over and play with the cat. And then whenever the president wasn't at the White House, they would bring the cat over and let them play too. So he was kind of like in and out of the White House situation. Unfortunately. (laughs) God, I suck. He died really young, unfortunately. So... He was about a year and a half old. It didn't say what he died from, but he was the first White House cat to get an obituary notice in the press. And the quote that I found said, quote, unlike many humans in the same position, he never wrote his memoirs of his days in the White House, and he never discussed them for quotation, though he was privy to many official secrets. (laughs) So in 1996, single print of a photograph of Tom Kitten sold for $14,950. Wow. A lot of money. And then in 2005, a ring binder that had nine black and white photographs of the cat sold for $7,200. That's insane. That is insane. That's a lot of money. All right. Next, we have Gerald Ford. Susan, his daughter, had Shan Sheen. A seal point Siamese cat named after a city in China. Shan slept with Susan in her bed every night. And then he would spend the days with the first lady while she was at school. Kitty also apparently liked to hang out under the bed in the Lincoln bedroom. Maybe he's hanging out with Lincoln's ghost since Lincoln liked cats so much. Maybe. They were like, hey, Abe. I hear you like cats. (laughs) Just going to hang out here. And (laughs) And Shan actually made the cover of... People magazine. Very stylish. That's like a senior portrait. Yeah. Very, very cool cat, too. I had a Siamese growing up. I loved him so much. I've always found them to be very beautiful cats. Oh, yeah. Susan commented that Shan decidedly preferred women over men, but added that the cat always made an exception for the president and always rubbed up against his legs and waited for an opportunity to get into his lap. Aw. Very sweet. Moving on to the Carters. I love Jimmy Carter. He is a. I do too. Jim. So Jimmy Carter, who was a 39th president's daughter, Amy Carter owned a Siamese cat too. And this is the best name. The name is Misty Malarkey Yin Yang. I love that so much. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like this one wins. <laughs> so, Get out of here, Miss Pussy. Yeah, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> you know, Amy and the the kitty were inseparable, and the kitty's favorite place was her indoor dollhouse. So just like curl up in there, cute. They also said that during violin sessions, it would just meow <laughs> like, really loud, and some people were like, "How do you even practice with that?" Because it would just be that 
I don't know if you ever heard a Siamese meow, but they just like scream. <laughs> that makes me laugh. And the, also the best part of this is that Misty Malarkey and Yang is a boy. <laughs> oh, I just love it. I love kids when they're just like, it's boy cat. We're going to name you Misty. It's going to be great. I love it. And then Misty was not allowed to roam the White House freely, but he was allowed to go to the kitchen sometimes. And his favorite food was apparently steak and seafood. Hard same. It's a little surf and turf. I would take that too, A little close up at the face. Aww. A little Misty malarkey. Malarkey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's so funny. I I don't know why that made me laugh so hard, but I enjoyed it. Ronald Reagan, who was the 40th president, technically had cats, but he did not move them into the White House. So he had two cats, Cleo and Sarah, who were tortoise shell strays that he loved, but he left them in his home. That's fair. So now to your, I'm biased because this kitty is from my home state, but now we have socks. Yay! So the Clinton kitty might be one of the most famous of the first kitties in the White House. Socks was a black and white tuxedo cat, and he joined the family when Bill was governor of Arkansas. So apparently, Sox was rescued in Arkansas after Chelsea spotted him through a window during a piano recital and or lesson. And Sox was a stray. And there were some sources said that like he leapt into her arms when she walked out of her lesson. So I don't know what's true. It might have yeah. been just exaggerated because he's a little famous kitty. But yep. regardless, they named him Sox because he has little little white feet. <laughs> so cute. And while they were in office, they named him the chief executive cat. So he was the first one to have a title. Shortly after the 1992 presidential election, photographers stalked him on the lawn of the (laughs) Arkansas mansion. And I have a photo of that too. This cracks me up. It's like paparazzi, but for like a cat. That's such a 90s thing. Right? (laughs) So they're all crouched on the ground taking photos of him. (laughs) Oh my God. And they would, like, lure him into the camera with catnip. This is just too much. Too much. Hilarious. And although he got to roam freely around the property in Arkansas at the governor's mansion, he was confined mostly to the White House for his safety because he was, you know, famous. (laughs) Yep. Yep. He had plenty of favorite spots, including the Oval Office, which was one of the first pictures I showed you. is him sitting in the chair being like, what? It's my job. There's a lot of photos. If you Google Socks the Cat, there's so many of him on the podium in the press room. (laughs) So cute. And there was offices in the East Wing where it had really high back chairs and he could get up there and he could just watch everybody. So he had like the good vantage point. Had his own fan club. (laughs) And he had his own website. Clinton said, quote, when I took office, only high energy physicists had heard of what was called the World Wide Web. Now even my cat has his own web page. <laughs> <laughs> he became a beloved public figure, and he was often taken around to visit children or senior citizens in local hospitals, orphanages, and nursing homes, and he had a cute little carrier that had the presidential seal on it. <laughs> That's adorable. Oh, he's so fun. So if you ever get the chance, if you're one of those nerds that likes going to presidential libraries, I highly recommend the Clinton one. It Kind of looks like a trailer, but just ignore that. <laughs> the idea is there's this old bridge, and when the architect or whatever is like, we're gonna build the 
bridge of the past meaning the bridge of the future so it's this big glass building and it's supposed to be like this futuristic bridge but it looks like a giant ass trailer and it's arkansas so everybody's like <laughs> but it's really, <laughs> it's really cool so they have all this everything from the white house about socks is there they have a giant exhibit of like his official portrait and all the art kids drew him and it's just that's cute so, i love it's it so precious much. He was featured on a set of stamps issued by the Central African Republic, and his image was also used in the White House to mark routes for visiting school children. He was the subject of a children's book written by First Lady Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. It was called Dear Socks, Dear Buddy, Kids Letters to the First Pets, and that was in 1998. Aww. He was featured prominently in an episode of Murphy Brown. I don't, I'm aging myself. You remember Murphy Brown? Oh, God. I loved Murphy Brown so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> that show was so important. It was the first show where they actually talked about like, a single mother on like network television. Yeah. I think they rebooted it recently. Now that I'm thinking about it. I'm sure you can watch it somewhere. Streaming. She was an icon. She was. He also starred in a never released video game designed for Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis in 1993. In the game, he had to dodge various obstacles, including spies and corrupt politicians to warn the Clintons of nuclear threats. <laughs> oh my god. I can't imagine why that didn't come out. <laughs> oh, I, I there has to be a copy somewhere, you know. Someone like, needs to release that as like an online game you can play. Yes. Oh, oh my god. I would play the shit out of that. <laughs> Someone make that happen. <laughs> and he also appeared in Muppet form on Larry King Live. Rest in peace, dude, for an interview Aww. with the Frog who was guest hosting. <laughs> that's adorable i know i need to youtube all this honestly <laughs> and one of my favorite parts of this is that he had a very well publicized feud with buddy the dog he was a labrador retriever <laughs> and he hated him from the moment they met and bill clinton said quote i did better with the palestinians and the israelis than i've done with socks and buddy <laughs> I mean, also uh, photos on the website and on social media but yeah every photo is just socks about to just beat the shit out of buddy he hated him <laughs> it's amazing like, like they got the dog later being like this will be great and it was not great <laughs> so it's a lot of photos of clinton just busting up fights <laughs> that is amazing oh my god <laughs> What's amazing is I actually have an old coworker that used to work in the Clinton administration. She was the person that answered fan mail. So she got a lot of fan mail for the cat and the dog. <laughs> so I asked her, I'm like, did they really hate each other? She's like, yes. <laughs> so that made me laugh. That's awesome. So he actually ended up staying with former Secretary Betty Curie and her husband after the White House due to his severe hatred of Buddy. <laughs> and he also just really liked Betty. Like he hung out in her office all the time and they had bonded. So they'd made the decision to just, you know, let him be happy as like a yeah. single pet home. And at that point, Chelsea was older and leaving for school and everything too. So they did that. And he lived to be 19 years old and he passed away in 2009. So that's pretty impressive living that long. That's. Yeah. That's a good life for a cat. 
And when he passed away, the Clintons said, quote, Socks brought so much happiness to Chelsea and us over the years and the enjoyment to the kids and cat lovers everywhere. We're grateful for those memories. And we especially want to thank our good friend Betty Curie for taking such love and care of Socks for so many years. So I just thought that was sweet. There was also like an article that was like, he got hit by a car like, <laughs> a year after this, like uh, to the White House. And I was like, that's not true. Like, why would you say that? So he's even got like the paparazzi fake death thing on the internet. So he's like super celebrity. Dang. And again, the Clinton Library has a really excellent collection of socks memorabilia. <laughs> I got to, one of my professors is the director of the Clinton Library, so we got to go in there after hours and look at stuff. <laughs> so then we got George W. Bush. So this kitty, a little black kitty, I love black cats so much. His name was India Willie Bush, and it was a beautiful black cat named after a baseball player, Ruben L. Indio Sierra of Texas Rangers, which I believe the Bush family actually owned, like a part of that team at the time. Okay. So in 2004, protesters in Kerala, India, actually burned this cat in effigy <gasps> to protest the name because his name was India. Thought that the black cat's name was an insult to their country. So they eventually got that all worked out. It wasn't the kitty's, it wasn't the kitty's fault, but I'm like, poor cat. He's just like, what? I'm just existing. Fuck. <laughs> I'm just out here living my best life. Yeah, he was apparently very shy and reclusive, but he loved his little family. He was content to take a backseat to the Bush's well-known Scottish Terriers, Barney and Miss Beasley. I do remember Barney. He was very cute. I, I do too. Yeah. And then India was seen in some of the Barney cam. Uh, I think I have a Barney cam somewhere. Barney cam. <laughs> Again, they don't look like they're having a good time. But <laughs> <laughs> well, they're like the same size. Yeah. That's adorable. Scottish guy. So the White House website, while he was president, revealed that India's favorite room in the White House was the library, which would also be my favorite. And her favorite book was the children's picture book, If You Take a Mouse to the Movies. Oh, and that's by Laura Numeroff and Felicia Bond. It's a very cute book. And the website listed her favorite food as tuna flavored kitty treats. And her favorite spot is hiding or for hiding from her humans was under the bed. So probably also hanging out with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. There you go. India died at the age of 18. So also a really long time. Mm -hmm. And that was January 2009, just a few weeks before the Obamas moved in. Sad. But in a statement, the First Lady Laura Bush said, India was a beloved member of the Bush family for almost two decades. She'll be greatly missed. And they also had Ernie, a striped cat named after Ernest Hemingway, who became too wild to reside in the White House. <laughs> so he was sent to live with some friends. <laughs> I hate this place. Get me out of here. <laughs> oh, are you just kidding? Yeah, a cat would definitely let you know. Like, fuck this. <laughs> Get me out of here. Everything. I, I mean, to have an animal in the White House, they'd have to be so trained to be around people because there's people everywhere, staff and people coming in and out. Oh, I imagine that some cats would be like, not, not my thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm out. They had a third cat, Cowboy, who was said to be the president's favorite, but he actually died of kidney disease right before oh. he took office. So that's really sad. So, and then, like I said, Biden will be the next president with a cat. They're planning, uh, probably, I would assume they're probably going to 
save like one from a shelter. But it's in the work. Dr. Jill Biden said that she just really wanted a kitty in the White House and that Champ and Major love cats and that it'll be just like fun to have animals everywhere. So that's fun. And hopefully with COVID going away, fingers crossed, they could have like kids back in the White House and they can play with the animals again. I always love the pictures of, you know, kids doing the tours and the Easter egg rolls and little animals. Like I loved, was it Bo and Sunny? Obama's dogs. They were so cute when they were like, they were super cute. I just love it so much. Gotta have some sort of humanity in politics again. Yeah. You gotta have some sort of escape. And I feel like animals humanize people as well. Like, because animals are such good judges of character. So I feel like you can kind of tell a lot about a person based off how their animals interact with them. Yeah. So, okay. You excited? The lives are my jaw hurts. (laughs) <laughs> island too much be sadder <laughs> yes i'm really excited i don't think i know anything about this topic so i'm yeah so i decided to do some research on cats from japanese folklore it's something that i've always kind of had a little bit of an interest in and there's really fun history about the different types of cats so cats have been fixtures in japan since the ninth century when it's believed that they traveled via the Silk Road from Egypt to China to Korea before they were brought across via boat. And in some instances, they actually protected Buddhist temples from vermin. Oh, cool. And other times they were gifted to emperors to gain favor. Because at the beginning, they were revered on the same level as like gold and wealth because they were so new and it was like a status symbol if you had a cat. And part of that was because of the fact that they could multiply. So unlike gold and wealth, which you have to kind of like earn, cats can just, you know, have lots of little cats. (laughs) So by the 12th century, cats were a common animal all over Japan. And with the birth of the Edo period, they started to appear in many cultural depictions of the day. So that's sort of when you started to see them appearing in, you know, like the wood cuttings and things during that time period. Okay. And the people of Japan hold many beliefs that all things have a spirit. And so when it comes to cats, these spirits are often known as kiaibio, which is a special classification of supernatural creatures specific for cat spirits. Oh, cool. So, and I'm going to go through a few of those. So the first category is the bakaneko, which is actually like an umbrella term for three separate categories of cats. So the Bakaneko starts off as just like your regular old house cat, but it develops supernatural abilities in a number of ways. So if it's over the age of 12 to 13, if it was an unusually large or fat cat, (laughs) if it ate too much lamp oil, which was made out of the oil from fish. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because when I first read that, I was like, gross. Why didn't didn't those cats die? (laughs) Like, geez. (laughs) killing all these cats feeding them oil (laughs) but no no it was because they used fish oil which i was like okay thank god that makes a lot more sense (laughs) or if they had a long tail so in order to prevent this transformation in ancient japan many of the cats had their tails cropped short so they would not transform into a supernatural being upon their death and over time the cats in japan just kind of naturally were bred to have cropped tails okay so there are many cats in Japan that just don't have long tails because they were bred out. Well, that's really interesting. 
Yeah, I thought that was really weird and kind of cool. So once the cat turns into a bakaneko, it would grow in size, usually up to the size of a full-grown man. Oh. <laughs> would start to walk on their hind legs and speak in human langu- language, and some could even summon fireballs. Whoa. So fire would also appear on the tips of their tails, and they were known for starting fires. That sounds very Pokemon-y. It does. I was like, okay, Charmander, I I see you. (laughs) I see you. So this class of supernatural cat, they were considered shapeshifters, and they could transform to appear like a normal house cat or take the form of a human. And in some stories, the Bakaneko are basically tricksters that, and this made me laugh so hard. They would wear towels on their heads and like dance at night. Like <laughs> like these weird little just like, hey, check me out with this towel on my head. We're just dancing around. And I was like, oh my God, best party ever. Like, love this. <laughs> so they would do that and have like these super fun towel hat parties. But then others were said to have killed and eaten their masters after they transformed. Oh, before. Dear. Before changing their appearance to basically replace their master. Oh, it's kind of like a changeling kind of. Yeah. So then people would think they were the master instead. My cat, my my dearly departed Olivia, was she had all that criteria, the extra long tail, super <laughs> fat, really old. What was it like after so many years? I swear I'm not her. She did not turn into me. <laughs> but I'm just like, all this sounded really cool. Like maybe she didn't die. She just transformed. And I'm like, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Taking that back. <laughs> so a funny story of Bacanecos are the story of the Bacaneco prostitutes of the Edo period. Oh, hell yeah. So according to stories and illustrations from this time, if one was looking to hook up with a lady of the night, they had to be careful in Tokyo, for there was a chance that she wasn't a woman at all, but was in fact Bakaneko posing as one. Ooh. So in some tellings, after the John fell asleep, after enjoying the lady's services, he would awaken to see the once beautiful courtesan picking at fish bones with the head of a cat. Ooh. That would be startling to wake up to. That would. You just wake up and you're like, hey, honey, oh my God. I've made a mistake. I've made so many mistakes. I'm sorry, Miss Pussy. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. And others tell of men wandering the streets in search of companionship only to see the women with shadows of a cat. So then instead of seeing the shadow of a woman, there'd be like the head of a cat on the oh. shadow. And there are also stories of the courtesan pouncing on and eating her client after he'd enjoyed her services. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I was reading this, I was like, where would this even come from? Like, where would this idea come from? And a lot of scholars believe that the idea of these cat courtesans came from the fact that the women were not allowed to eat in front of the men that they were servicing. Oh, so it's entirely possible that if they like wine and dine the men before performing services, and then when they were sleeping, they would like pick whatever they could off of their plates while they were sleeping because they couldn't eat. I would believe it. I would eat it. (laughs) Girls, how to eat? You know exactly. And then I was thinking too. I'm like, okay, so then 
where would the shadow come from? Well, remember they have they have those really fancy hair sticks. So I could imagine if you're walking down the street and you have those really fancy hair sticks in your hair, those would cast a shadow like cat's ears. Mm-hmm. So oh, that makes sense. And this one was kind of funny. So another sub subgenre of the bakaneko is called the nekomusume, which translates to the cat's daughter. And this would basically eventually spawn the creation of the whole cat girl trope in anime oh, cool. where where they're all like oh look at me i have my cat ears and this little cat paws meow, meow, i'm sexy you know <laughs> that's where the whole like sexy cat girl thing came from <laughs> and another telling is that the neko musume are actually cursed hybrids of cats and humans so at that time the shamisen you know like the famous stringed instrument that they would play used drums that were made from the stretched hides of cats. Oh. Which was horrifying to hear. The belief was if a shamisen maker grew too greedy, he might be cursed with a daughter who was in fact a nekomusume or a creature incapable of human speech who would eat rats and scratch with their claws. Ooh. Damn. That's, that's intense. That's, <laughs> that's harsh, man. Yeah. Jesus. Another classification of the Bakaneko is the Kasha. And this one is probably the ba- the most badass of all of them. So the Kasha is a demon you do not want to encounter unless you like the smell of burning flesh. Hard pass. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> You're like, yeah, nope. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, you lost me at demon. I have, a, <laughs> have an aversion to demons anyway. Covered in a layer of flames. The Kasha steals the corpses of sinners from their graves to deliver them to hell. And in some tales, they actually eat the bodies. And in others, they reanimate them to become their undead puppets. Ooh, that's kind of badass. The name Kasha translates to burning chariot, which is what was used in the original Buddhist texts to ferry the bodies of sinners to hell. And over time, the meaning transformed and morphed with that of this cat spirit. If you actually like look at pictures of it, it's like this insane looking cat, like dragging a cart behind it. And it's just like engulfed in flames. Wow. That sounds really cool. It's actually really cool. I was like, that's pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the smell would be gross, but yeah, like, it's pretty badass. One of the most famous forms of the Bakaneko is the Maneki Neko. And these are most commonly referred to as the lucky cats. The little, the little white ones that have their little paw up holding, oh, yeah. holding the coin. So okay, yeah. The Maneki Neko statues are said to bring good luck and financial gain, which is why you often see them in a number of Asian businesses. Mm-hmm. And the story of the Maneki Neko starts in the 17th century at the Kotokuin Temple, which was falling into disrepair and was quickly running out of money. So one day, a samurai lord named Li Naotaka was passing through after hunting falcons when he happened upon the abbot's cat who was named Tama. And Tama motioned for him to come inside the temple gates. So Lord Nautaka followed him inside and decided to take a rest after this day of hunting. As he was sharing tea with the abbot, a storm started outside and lightning struck right where Lord Nautaka would have been on his journey had he not heeded the cat's welcome and gone into the temple. Lord Nautaka was so grateful to the cat for saving his life that he made a large donation to the temple, which saved it from ruin. So after Tama's passing, a statue of a large beckoning cat was built at the temple to honor his memory, and the temple was later renamed 
Gotokuji, which in honor of the late samurai lord. And that was his Buddhist name. Because I guess you were given a Buddhist name upon your death. Oh, okay. You can still see the statue today. And actually that temple is famous for people like they will purchase the little statues and then like leave them as offerings at that temple. So if you go there, there's just like mountains and mountains of these lucky cat statues. Oh, that's so cool. Which is really cool. I want to go to Japan so bad. I do too. Oh my God. That's like a dream of mine. Someday before my hips stop working, I would like to go. (laughs) I know. What sucks is I have two friends living there right now for the military. And before COVID, we're like, we'll go visit. Now we can't visit. Like, damn it. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Back before we can ever go anywhere. Exactly. So the next classification is the Nekomata. And this is one of the meanest ones you can meet. Oh, no. So, so if you thought the Kasha was pretty bad, this one's probably worse. So unlike the Bakaneko, the Nekomata distinguishes itself because they have double tails, which is how they get their name, because Nekomata translates to forked cat. Oh, okay. This demon is born in the same fashion as the Bakaneko, from long-tailed or long-lived cats, but unlike the Bakaneko, which are typically more trickster in nature, the Nekomata are malicious towards humans. Just like the Bakaneko, they too grow to be the size roughly of a man, walk on their hind legs, and speak in human language. But once they finish transforming, they tend to run and hide deep in the mountains, where they continue to grow larger to the point that they can actually eat humans. Ooh. So in some tellings, they can perform necromancy and haunt their old owners with the bodies of their dead relatives. Oh, God. (laughs) Which I thought was, you know, super vindictive. That is, but man, (laughs) gets the job done. I was (laughs) like, wow, okay. How do you truly just traumatize a whole family? (laughs) Hey, Grandpa's back. No, he's not. See, this is why Japanese horror is the best horror, because that stuff will scare the shit out of you. It gets dark. Right? It is so dark. I'm just like, who hurt you? (laughs) Why do you come up with these things? They're awful. So not only that, but they can also use their ability to start fires in order to do as much damage and injure as many people as possible. Of course. (laughs) Because, you know, they're not nice. Yeah. Wow. So one theory on why Nekomata are born versus being coming back as the Bakaneko is the idea that they endured great suffering during their life at the hands of either their master or or other humans, which kind of goes back to the whole idea of the shamazin, because it's believed that the cats that were essentially killed to make the shamazins, they come back as Nekomata to kind of seek revenge for you know, being killed to be made into musical instruments. And there's actually some famous paintings that depict this, where it's like a Nekomata actually strumming on a shamisen. And so it's kind of like, not really making light of what happened, but it's a very famous illustration of sort of this legend of the Nekomata. Oh, cool. And those are the different categories of the various kaibio that are found in Japan's long and colorful history. That's amazing. I love Japanese lore. It's really cool. I mean, there are obviously these different iterations 
of cat spirits come up a lot in, you know, pop culture and anime. There's two-tailed cat with the flames on the tips of the tail are very common in anime. Trying to think what other ones are pretty common. But typically you would see the fox spirits. Those are the more well-known spirits are the ones that are like the kitsune or the tanukis, which are the raccoon spirits. But I just remember watching, I attended a webinar like at the beginning of COVID that was done by a man who, his name's like Zach Davis or something like that. But he has done all this extensive research on cats in Japanese mythology and stuff. And so he was leading this webinar, like going through the history of cats in Japan and all that kind of stuff. And it was really fascinating. And I was like, I want to learn more about that. So <laughs> That does sound really fascinating. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Man. Well, thank you so much for talking about that. That's I'm fascinated by Japanese lore. It's interesting because once you start kind of diving into the folklore of like their yokai, which are the different spirit entities that they believe in on my, my other podcast, pineapple pizza podcast, my co-host Emily was talking about kappas, which are these like turtle spirits that are in waterways. They're pretty gross. They're like total perverts. They usually <laughs> pop up out of like toilets and stuff. It's gross. Oh, that's nightmare fuel. It's I- nightmare fuel. It's bleh, it's gross. Yeah, but there's like they literally have spirits for everything. There's <laughs> she was talking about a spirit that's basically like basically a giant roll of toilet paper that will like strangle you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, that's cool. Oh, well, let's go with it. So it's like if you don't, if you see like a sheet or something flapping in the wind, you need to leave it alone. Just stay away from it, or it's going to come and it's going to, you know, choke you to death. So Man. again, that's why Japanese horror is the best horror. It, everything's right. terrifying. It's so nothing funny. has scared me like they're scary movies. I know it's just. It's just fun because so much of their culture is around, you know, animals and their spirits. And it's just so interesting to hear all these different tales associated with these animals. Mm -hmm. And there was one story, which I didn't include, but it had to do with Bakaneko of this really famous courtesan named Umiho. And she had a tortoiseshell, a tortoiseshell cat that she was extremely fond of. And it used to follow her like everywhere she went, whenever she'd be walking through the market or if she was, you know, working, it would be with her. And apparently at one point something happened to the cat and it, very bad things happened after things happened to the cat. Oh. Yeah. It's, and that's also a very famous painting is I'll have to find those and send them to you. But. Yes. Also. A high five on the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Google Translate this. Yeah, I would be phonetics. All over that. <laughs> so impressed. <laughs> Even when I have things up phonetically, I still fuck it up. I'm like, oh, damn it, Kina. Especially French. I know. It's my nemesis. Anything in French. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me on. My face literally hurts from smiling so much. <laughs> Same. I'm like, oh, it hurts so bad. I know. I'm going to have uh, to ice my face. It was really interesting, though. I really liked your topic. Tell everybody really quick where they can find your podcasts. Sure. Um, so you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Yield Crime Pod 
And on Instagram, we're at Yield Crime Podcast. We're also on YouTube. We have a Patreon, Yield Crime Pod, merch on TeePublic. We're pretty much on all of the podcasting platforms. So, And you have a new one, right? Yes. I started a new podcast with um, Emily from Drink Drunk Dead and Ashley from Studying Scarlet. It launched at the beginning of this month. It's called Pineapple Pizza Podcast. And it's where we go through the mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends of different areas around the world. Our first triptych was about Japan. Oh, cool. And our second one is about Greco-Roman. Um, I think the next one that's coming out is going to be about North America. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it's really cool. And I like the format that we do because, you know, we start with the uh, Ashley starts with the mythology and then Emily does the cryptids and then I kind of bookend it with the urban legends. So we kind of go from like the creation type stories to like modern day stuff. So. Oh, cool. I love cryptids. I will be listening. I have it. I'm subscribed. I haven't listened yet. I do find that with uh, isolation, I don't drive as much. So that's normally where I listen to podcasts. Same, same. Because I would always listen to them on the um, my way to and from work. And yeah. So I listen now while I go for my walks, but I only do like two miles a day. So I barely get through anything. But <laughs> I, need to, I need to get caught up. Same. I have like a million and one podcasts and I'm like, I'll get to that someday. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually we will get through that. Eventually. I do love your podcast. I'm so glad Thank that you, you came on and I'm so glad you came at last minute. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Really came in clutch because it was like Sunday night. They were like, oh, we can't make it. I was like, ah, <laughs> no, <laughs> man, but this ended up being so fun. So it I did. Know really happy i want to thank Lindsay from the old crime podcast again for joining me i had so much fun this was a real light and fun episode and cats just all around ended up being a great theme and i just i've had the best time if you guys would like to watch these episodes live and see all the deleted scenes and bloopers this particular episode was three hours so there's a lot to watch and you can do that if you join patreon that's patreon.com slash historical af pod and there's a lot of different perks you know you get things in the mail you get merch you get extra episodes so definitely check that out if you'd like to send in a story for the extra af that's historical af pods at gmail.com if you'd like to check out the merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And that's always changing. I'm always adding stuff, always switching things around. You should definitely check that out. And if you'd just like to go to one website and just see everything, because who has time to remember all these things, that is historicalafpodcast.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you all so much. Oh, and also if you have a second and you would like to rate and review the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that. For some reason, a lot of people are giving me one stars this week. So, <laughs> so your uh, positive reviews help a lot. And it helps the podcast be more visible and, you know, just gets it out there for more people. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Our theme is going to be religion. And I'm going to be joined by Marie and Rachel, who are in seminary school. And I am so excited. All right, guys, 
See you later. Okay, bye. This is Histories and Mysteries. I'm one of your hosts, Ashley, and this is your other host, Jessica. And on our podcast, we talk about fascinating history, like the history of witches and Cleopatra. We talk about creepy paranormal, like the black-eyed kids in possession, and true crime stories like cults and serial killers. We also often mispronounce words and mess up common sayings like bang for your buck. (laughs) So if you want to come laugh with us or at us, we don't mind, check out Histories and Mysteries. That's Histories, Ampersand Mysteries, and we're found on all major podcast platforms. (laughs) 